If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Romans chapter 12. Uh, today we are finishing the series that we have been in for the last several weeks. Uh, we've spent the better part of a month um, slowly walking through uh, one chapter of the Bible, Romans chapter 12, which is one of like the most power-packed sections of Scripture that really describes what it means to follow Jesus, how we are formed into the likeness of Jesus, and how that formation internally overflows into us becoming the church that God designed us to be. And today we are going to talk about something that I think most of us have never even really given thought to, but it's something that we all unconsciously experience. What we are talking about today is the power of blessing, and since it's Halloween, we're going to get into cursing. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> Uh, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about how we are called by God to live in this countercultural way as God's family, that we are seeking to become a place where everyone, regardless of your family of origin, regardless of what you've done in your past, where every single person can find belonging in the family of God and where everyone can contribute, bringing the best of themselves, bringing your gifts and your passions and your experiences uh, as a contribution to this kingdom community that God is forming in the church. And the way that we live towards this seemingly ideal vision of community is through what we talked about last week, a commitment to one another in devoted love. If you missed either of the last two weeks and you call this church your home, I want to strongly recommend going back and listening to the podcast from the last couple weeks. But the question that we're arriving at here this morning is, how do we respond to each other and how do we respond to the rest of the world when that ideal of community is broken by mistreating each other? Like, not just the casual stepping on each other's toes or having preferences that are slightly at odds with each other. I mean, what do we do when there's real conflict? How do we respond when we are sinned against? I am so glad that you came here asking these questions today. So if you have your Bible open at Romans 12, we're going to start in verse 14. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And so as we mentioned last week, when we came to this uh, section of Scripture, we, we recognized that the end of Romans 12 is a power-packed list of a couple dozen commands for the church about how we live together as an alternative to the systems and the values of the world. And here at the very end of the chapter, we see Paul make a shift uh, to talking about how Christians are called to live in the midst of a hostile environment. How do we resist the cultural poles towards power or contempt and instead to become a, a people of blessing and humility? Now, 
Like last week, we don't have time to unpack each one of these phrases one by one. So instead, we're just going to focus on sort of one key theme that we see repeated a couple of times throughout these verses. And it's the theme of being a source of blessing in the face of hostility. In verse 14, Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then skip to verse 17, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. In verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And then finally in verse 21, Paul sums the whole thing up with this. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, for the early church in Rome that Paul was writing to, resistance from the rest of the culture was something that was to be expected or assumed. It wasn't surprising at all to these early Christians that they were persecuted and slandered by the rest of the world around them. But in a world that valued honor and reputation, where power and authority were connected to your family and to your name, to be slandered was not just a frustrating inconvenience, it was actually quite costly. And the way that you would respond to persecution really mattered. In the face of persecution and slander, Paul says you can either respond in kind, returning the slander with a curse, or you could choose humility and to become a source of blessing. In the face of persecution or slander or mistreatment, Blessing or cursing. Now, in our culture today, I think that we have, like, no idea what to do with these terms of blessing or cursing. Uh, In America, we flatten blessing to mean basically just fortunate circumstances, like finding a great parking spot, or getting a job promotion, or going on vacation, hashtag blessed, right? Or if you're from the South, you'll use expressions like, bless your heart, whenever you're talking trash about someone. The only time that most of us bless anyone is after somebody sneezes. And then cursing, right? Like, what do we do with cursing? When we think of cursing, it's usually just in the form of thinking about, like, using bad four-letter words. Or maybe it's a kid using real incantations from Harry Potter. Now, as American Christians, we have some work to do in order to understand the biblical concept of blessing. And my hope is that is that as we sort of move into these things, we step into to the world of Romans 12, that each of us will become springs of God's blessing in a world that is saturated more and more every day in contempt. And much of today's sermon actually comes from John Ortberg's book, The Bait of Satan, and John Tyson's book, The Burden is Light, if you want to read some more um, about this. A little bit about my story. My late teens and my early 20s were super formative years for me, as they are for pretty much every single one of us. Um, And when I was around 20 years old, I was this passionate, fired-up Christian kid, determined to serve God radically with my life, to do missions, to preach with fire and conviction, you know? And it was during this season that I had a disproportionate experience of people's words impacting who I would become. Uh, At the time, I was dating this cute Baptist girl, and uh, I started attending the Baptist church because that's what you do to get the girl. And it became clear to me that um, 
you know, I was not exactly like everyone else around me. And I was a bit of a polarizing figure for some of the leaders in the youth group and in the church. Um, and at one point, uh, in the early years of, of dating my girlfriend, uh, her youth leader actually took her out to coffee to convince her, to try to convince her to break up with me because uh, we were like a really bad match. She was sweet and I was not. <laughs> I was a weirdo who spoke in tongues, who prayed for people to get healed and all that sort of stuff. And the words that were spoken to my girlfriend by that youth leader were eventually passed on to me secondhand, and they hurt me deeply. They did something to my heart. It confirmed for me a suspicion or a fear that I already had that I was an outsider and didn't belong. And then a bit later, like not much later, maybe a year or so later, my youth pastor, who's a man I'm still really close friends with today, he ended up resigning his job at the same church partly because the lead pastor brought him into the office and explained to him that that kid, Marshall, would never have any role of influence or authority in this church. He's too charismatic. He's too passionate. He's probably too good-looking. <laughs> and humble. That's right. Yeah, very humble. And once again, this experience, the power of those words, even though they were secondhand, they deeply impacted my life. They began to sort of take root and shape a bit of who I would become. Now, on the flip side, around the same time, I went to this youth conference with some students from another youth group. I was, I was a youth leader, <clears throat> and um, my, my, uh, my friend and former youth pastor, he said, oh, why don't you take these kids to this conference? I'm sure that it'll be fine. And it was a weird, weird, weird conference. Like, not just like charismatic, like creepy, creepy weird. And I didn't like it. And so while I was there, I asked God, I said, God, would you just show me your power? Show me that you're here. And I asked him to give me a prophetic word to confirm some of the things that I had been feeling that God was calling me to in my life. Um, and I said specifically, I want, want a prophetic word that confirms that I'm supposed to do something with leadership in the church, that I'm called to do something with the nations, and that there was something for me in the nation of New Zealand. That was something that I had felt like a couple of months before, and I didn't know what to do with. And then I pointed to a guy in the second row, and I said, and make it that guy who says, who says these things to me. Now, a few minutes later, that guy that I had just pointed to, he got up on the stage, and he grabbed the microphone. Turns out he was the speaker for the morning, and I didn't know. And he had this weird, like, down-under accent, and he was talking, just sort of like introducing the, the session ahead, and then he stopped, and he looked me right in the eye. And he said, you, young man. And he began to prophesy. And he said that he saw the image of, of a passport with pages that were being flipped and stamped and flipped and stamped. And he said, there's something in your life that has to do with nations. And God has called you to be a leader in his church. And I'm starting to get all the feels, right? You know, it's like chills going down your body. And then he pauses for a second. And he says, I don't ever do this. But I feel like God is saying that I'm supposed to invite you to come to my home nation of New Zealand. And so I just crumpled to the floor, you know, broke down, because this moment was really holy, right? It was so specific. It was so powerful. It was a moment of profound blessing from God, a confirmation from the very heart of God saying, I have my eye on you. I have my hand on your life. You are not alone. 
And then shortly after that, I moved to New Zealand, and I served with that same prophetic guy. His name is Kristen Williams. We've had him actually come and speak at our church a couple times. But during this time, I was still so jaded at the idea of local church leadership. I still felt like an outsider everywhere that I went. I felt like an outsider at this Baptist church. I felt like an outsider at this, this charismatic church in New Zealand. I did not belong. Too fiery to belong. And I had those words of rejection just sort of in my head that were becoming a script that I was living into. And so my plan was just, I I figured, okay, if God wants me to be some kind of leader, I'll be itinerant. Uh, I'll have nothing to do with the local church. I'll just go to like conferences and stuff and I'll just see if I can figure out how to do like some translocal thing. Then I moved home from New Zealand and I wanted to propose to that Baptist girl. Um, But I still had a bit of a chip on my shoulder that that there was something in me, and it was deep, it was not like something I wore on my sleeve, but kind of a little bit of an assumption that people thought we shouldn't be together. And I was so in love with her, but a part of me was honestly afraid that if I asked her to marry me, I would only end up being tolerated by friends and family, but might not actually be blessed. And so when Carly's parents, when they blessed our decision to get married, something really significant happened in me. And it's not that I was ever really afraid of being rejected by them. I knew that they loved me. But to receive the blessing from your in-laws is a statement that I would become a member of this family, that I would be welcome, and that they would support me as their own, that my children would one day grow up and be celebrated and welcomed and loved by their grandparents. And so not long after we got married, after this initial sort of experience of blessing there, we ended up here at the Vineyard, this church that I love. And this was the first church where I ever felt like I finally belonged, like the gifts and the passions and even my ridiculous personality was valued. And I remember a few years into being a part of this church that Carly and I were invited over to Steve and Lane's, Lane Fish's house, and they, they invited us over for dinner And they extended to us an invitation to pray about becoming their successors, about one day stepping into leading this church to be the pastors of a local church that I love. They extended their blessing and their welcome to us as leaders. And I'm only telling you all of these stories to, to, to point to the fact, to point to the warring power of blessing and cursing in my life. You see, when the words of that youth leader or of that senior pastor, when they got to me, they did something to my heart. It wasn't a conscious wound, but it got into me and it sowed these seeds of doubt and rejection deep into my soul. And this rejection, it actually impacted uh, me in invisible ways that I wasn't aware of for years but that under the surface, it was doing its work. It was sowing these seeds that said that you were not going to belong in a local church family, that this is a place that is unsafe. You are an outsider. Go find another place to be. And, but, but on the flip side, the experience of blessing also put something in me. It gave me the strength to lead and to be myself. It instilled confidence that I was welcomed for who I am, both in Carly's family and in the church. I say all this to say, our words matter. In the book of James, it says that our words carry the power of life and death. And so blessing and cursing, 
These are a central theme in the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to the end of Revelation. These two realities, they determine the outcomes of a person's life. The Hebrew word for blessing is barak, and it means to speak the intention of God over someone. In the, in the New Testament, another word in Greek that is used for blessing is uh, eulochia, uh, I think, something like that. It's where we get the word eulogy from. And when we, when we bless, we are like literally speaking a eulogy over another person while they are still alive. That it means that we are speaking the hope, the beauty, the intentions, the favor of God over another person. And then in the Gospels, Jesus uses another Greek word, uh, makarios. And Dallas Willard describes this word like this. He says, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. Very simple, but very profound. And we see this as a central theme from the very first page of the Bible. The story of all humanity, it begins with Barak, with blessing. Here's what we read in Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increasing in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Notice in Genesis chapter 1 that humans were formed and created by God and before they ever did anything, they were blessed. It was from their blessing that they were given a job to do. I think this is a really important thing for us to remember as Jesus' followers. We don't work for blessing. We work from blessing. And our responsibility, humans' responsibility, was to extend this blessing of God, the goodness, the shalom of heaven, into all of the rest of creation. We were blessed to have babies and to make art, to cultivate, to build cities, to tend creation, all from the blessing of God. But shortly after this moment, we see the anti-blessing enter the world, the curse. When our first parents, when they sinned against God, a curse was released over all of creation. You see, Satan's intention has always been to get us to seek the blessing apart from God, to separate to separate us from our identity and our calling and to drive us away from God's favor. And so how did he do this? He did this by sowing a lie into the soul of humanity. And Satan got humans to believe that the source of blessing was not actually from God, it was apart from God. And this lie ended up unleashing a curse. And we see that God's, God had promised us life, but this curse, it brought death. God pronounced favor over all of us, but the curse unleashed resistance. God gives his peace, but the curse brings violence and division. God offers abundance, but the curse brings devouring. And all of us ever since have been on a never-ending quest to receive blessing, looking for it in a million different ways apart from God. And this curse, it has woven its way into the fabric of our humanity. It gets into our identity, counteracting the pleasure and love of God for each of us. It gets into our work and into our producing, telling us that we are only what we can produce. It gets into our relationships, sowing distrust and, and suspicion, betrayal and rejection. The curse manifests itself in our lives in a whole bunch of different ways. 
For some, these curses are passed down generationally. You know, we read in the Bible that the sins of the fathers are visited on the further generations. And while this can sometimes refer to like an actual demonic assignment that stays in a family line, what, is more, what it more often means is the dysfunction or brokenness of our parents manifests itself in our own lives further down the road. For some of us, this becomes really apparent as we enter early adulthood, maybe at the point when we get married and we discover things within us that we didn't know were there. Um, For others of us, like myself included, you really start to notice it when you become a parent, when you have your own children. Few of us escape the, the brokenness that's passed down to us from previous generations. Another source of of the curse is due to our own sin. Like in a moment of weakness, we may make a life-altering decision that cannot be undone. And what often follows is a life apart from God's blessing. A sin drives us further and further from God's favor. One of the most painful and common sources of curses in our lives comes from the words of others spoken over us. The curses from other people's lips that become scripts that determine who we become. Lies that are sown into us that take root. You'll never amount to anything. You're ugly. You're fat. I wish you were never born. You're a weirdo. You're a failure. And when you hear these lines spoken to you, Sometimes it's by people who have a great deal of authority in your life. Sometimes it's just somebody who, ha- who offers an offhanded uh, insult to you. But when you hear these lines, it does something to you. No matter how thick your skin is, a curse that li- lands in a tender place becomes a seed that bears tragic fruit in our lives for years to come. When we are cursed by others or even by our own sin, We may camouflage it with bravado or sarcasm or maybe even a drivenness to prove that person wrong. And doing that may soothe the wound a little bit, but it's not enough to bring real healing. In the end, all we're doing is looking for blessing from the wrong sources. We need true redemption and healing that can only come from God. And so even though the curse became the the story of all humanity on the third page of the Bible, it doesn't have the final word because immediately God gets to work undoing the power and the effects of the curse. And so he chose a people just a few chapters later in Genesis through whom his redemption would flow. And God said to the father of his people, Abraham, he said, all peoples on earth will be blessed again through you. And the vocation, the call on God's people was to become a conduit of God's blessing to all people across the earth. They were to be a nation who lived from blessing and to be agents of blessing who modeled a new way of life to distribute this kingdom life all the way to the ends of the earth. And Jesus eventually comes as the fulfillment of that promise that God made to Abraham. And this is how Paul writes uh, to the Galatian church. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. What we see here is that Jesus took on our curse 
the weight of our rebellion and sin. That Jesus redeemed us from the curse and he gave us his gift of righteousness so that we could inherit the blessings of God. The cross of Jesus is the place where the curse was broken and where it was replaced with a blessing, paid in full. And so at Christmas time, we sing this, this beautiful hymn, Joy to the World. And one of the verses from Joy to the World beautifully articulates this. He says, uh, we, we sing, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. And this, this thing that we sing at Christmas time, this is the good news. This is the gospel. That if you have ever felt like your life might be cursed, it has. It, it was. You're right. You're cursed. But in Jesus, the curse of sin, your sin, the sins that have been committed against you, the sins that have been committed in your family, everything that has tainted who you are becoming, all of it is washed clean at the cross of Jesus Christ. And in its place, you are given instead the gift of God's blessing, his grace, and that is not to say that when you become a Christian that so suddenly all of your circumstances get instantly better and you never suffer again and you experience that hashtag blessed life. No, the blessing of God doesn't mean that suddenly everything goes your way all the time. Instead, the blessing that follows is God's favor on our lives to live into his intentions that we are blessed, we are empowered to live a kingdom life that is in harmony with God's will. And we discover that when we live in harmony with the will of God, when we live in harmony with the kingdom of God, that his blessings naturally follow. And we have been redeemed by God not only to enjoy his blessing, but to pass it on to others. Blessings don't just flow to us, it flows through us. Here's how John Ortberg puts it. He says, blessing and cursing are not compartmentalized Bible words at all. They are simply the two ways that we treat people. They are as inseparable as breathing in and breathing out. Which finally brings us back to Romans chapter 12. Because the church is called to be a community that oozes God's blessing into the world. That when God's people are slandered or persecuted, we are not a people who respond in kind as the rest of the world does. We instead, like Jesus, absorb the power of their curses into our crucified lives and return back to them nothing but God's blessing. And we trust God to bring justice to those who seek our harm. But as far as it depends on us, our, responsible, our responsibility is simple. To serve, to bless, and to love. This is why Paul wraps all of this up with this exhortation in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He says that evil will be visited on you. That is guaranteed. You are going to be a recipient of persecution and slander. You are going to be mistreated and judged harshly. Partially because that's just what it means to be human and partially because of what it means to be God's new creation. And that when you are inevitably slandered, 
when you are inevitably persecuted, when you are inevitably rejected, all that can come out of you is the goodness of God. Do not let the evil visited on you overcome you. Instead, you overcome it with the goodness and blessing of God. The operating system of the world is to retaliate, to return curse for curse. But followers of Jesus overcome evil with good. We overcome curses <clears throat> excuse me, with blessing. So how do we become a people of blessing? How do I overflow God's blessing to those around me? A couple quick thoughts before we pray. Okay, you still with me? Okay. First, we bless with our words. That what we say to other people has the power to create entire new realities in them. We can shape identities and hearts with the words that we say. And so imagine if the church took this seriously. Like, what if we understood the power of our words so much that everyone who came through the doors of this building left here feeling empowered and encouraged and noticed by God's people? What if we spoke the intention and favor of God over each other Sunday after Sunday, life group after life group? What if we took seriously believing that I have the ability to shape something profound in another person by simply noticing something in them, by pointing to something in them and encouraging it. We bless when we speak out loud the good that we see in other people. A couple of weeks ago, uh, our, our leaders, um, we, we had a meeting. And during this meeting, we spent a few minutes just kind of reflecting on the ways. It was, this was following the, the message about, you know, the way that God gifts us in different ways to bring different kinds of contributions. And we just spent a few minutes reflecting on what, is, what are the gifts that God has given me and where do I see the most contribution from my life touching the church? It was kind of a fun thing to think about. And after a couple of minutes of thinking about it, uh, we came back together, and instead of each of us going around and answering the question for ourselves, we instead had the whole team answer for each other. And so uh, I went last, because I'm so humble. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Um, and, and my friends, they made a, a list of things that they saw God doing through my life for the church. And let me tell you that when I saw that list, I was so encouraged for days. Like, I felt like I left that room 10 feet tall. It had so much power in just simply reflecting back to me, hey, we see God's hand in your life in these ways. This is one of the central practices of the church, my friends. We bless and encourage and prophesy God's words to each other. We spur each other on to live fully into the gifts and the calls that God has given each one of us to do. And as we practice it here in the church, it's meant to bleed into the rest of our lives so that we would in turn speak blessing over our children or our spouse or our roommate, that we would notice God's hand on them and tell them what we see as they are growing that we would learn to become blessings to our coworkers or our boss, recognizing that everyone needs a word of blessing from time to time. That we could bless our barista or our bus driver, offering to pray for them, to just notice the struggling parent and to tell them that they're doing a good job. And blessing is also released as, through both our apologizing for wrongs and forgiving one another. 
that our words of apology or forgiveness, they have the power to break curses and to restore life. Blessing is in our words. Number two, we also bless others through our attentive presence, seeing and valuing other people's humanity. See, when we are checked out on our phones, ignoring those around us, it sends sort of this signal that there is something more important than the people that we're around. But when we take genuine interest in other people, like whether it's the Uber driver or the clerk at Fred Meyer or other parents at soccer practice, we create conditions where God's blessing can land in other people's lives. When we put our device away and we are present with our friends or our children, we are able to then notice how God is at work in their lives and we can step in and sort of fan it into flame. We bless through our presence. And finally, we bless others by empowering them at key moments in their lives. That rather than trying to control other people, we affirm and support what God is doing in another person's life. And what I mean by this is like, when things don't go your way, will you be able to offer God's blessing to others? When a member of your community that you love, that you are close friends with, has a new job opportunity in another city, and you collectively in your life group have discerned that, yes, this is God's invitation to them. It's something that they're supposed to do. Learning how to, to enter into the joy and sadness of sending them with blessing, even though it's sad and feels like loss to you. Or when somebody in your life starts a new business, they're trying to get it off the ground, you can invest in them, or you can hire them to, to do a contract job for you to help get them started. Blessing is bringing a meal to someone who's struggling. It's offering childcare for the family in need. It's hiring the unemployed brother or sister to support them. We bless as we sacrificially give to others towards them becoming who God has made them to be. Blessing and cursing, my friends. That's who we all get to choose who we get. We all get to choose who we get to be. And God's people are called by God to be a conduit of his blessing in the world around us. So we're gonna enter into some ministry time now. You guys feeling okay? I'm gonna invite Carly to come on up and join me as well. And as we as we enter into ministry time, and as I was praying for this morning, one of the things that I just felt like God was reminding me of is that there are many of us coming in here this morning who are bearing the unhealed wounds of curses in your life. For some people, they might be decades old. Something that was spoken over you in childhood that you've never been able to let go of. And though you've tried to muster up a thick enough skin to sort of rally and get beyond those things that those curses still have found purchase in the soil of your heart and I believe that the invitation to you is, is to come forward and receive prayer to take a step towards healing today for some people maybe those, those curses aren't decades old maybe they're somewhat more recent if there's one thing that I am confident of is that uh, the level of contempt and cursing that we experienced in our culture ratcheted up a thousandfold over the last three years, maybe longer. 
words that have been spoken over you that can never be unheard, judgments that have been lobbied against you, assumptions that have been made against you, that while, yeah, I've moved on, it's not really my, I know that's not me, That, that person doesn't even matter, but it's still lingering there. It still has power in your life. And I think that God wants to break the power of that today. I know that I carry a lot of things. And if I'm carrying it, I'm confident that pretty much everyone else is too. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a step forward towards healing from from some of these curses. And I want to be really clear from the outset of this. Like, while God does have supernatural power to heal in an instant, for pretty much everyone who goes into this space, this is not an instantaneous thing. This is actually a process that takes time. For some people, that'll mean deliverance. Like there might be actual spiritual strongholds in your life that need to be broken off. That takes some time. For others, it's inner healing. It's allowing sort of the balm of the Holy Spirit to go into the deep, deep crevices and cracks of our being to be able to heal us all the way at the root. For some of us, it's just simply discipleship. It's choosing day after day to live into the new reality of who you are. But I think that we can at least make some space to take a step forward this morning. Does that sound okay? Yes, with me? A few of you? Okay. So what we're going to do, I'll just go ahead and stay seated for a minute. And I'm just going to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if he, if he highlights something to you in your own life, maybe it's a word that's been spoken over you, maybe it's a, a, a moment of betrayal that you've experienced, some place where you know the power of the curse has taken root, then I'm going to ask you to be so brave as to just simply stand where you are. Can we do that? All right, so let's just go ahead and... <laughs> Lane's ready to go. All right, she's ready. Awesome. <clears throat> let's just take a minute. We're, gonna, we're just going to make some space for God. And, um, and if you feel like God's highlighting something, I want you to just stand to your feet. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we welcome you here, and we are thankful that you have borne every drop of curse that was levied against every single one of us, Lord. You bore it on the cross. Thank you for the way that you love your sons and daughters in this place this morning.